if a child called another child the N word, <laughs> right, there would be a stushy. Wait, are we talking about nincompoop? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nincompoop. <laughs> Welcome to episode 24 of Blethered. I'm Sean McDonald and my guest is Glaswegian comedian Susie McCabe. Susie has more awards and accomplishments than I can list in this wee intro, but I'll paint the picture for you. She was runner-up at the Scottish Comedian of the Year 2012, despite only getting into comedy a year previously. After that, things snowballed and it's down to hard work, constant development and being naturally hilarious and talented that Susie has both the reputation and the respect that she does. Actually, just the other day, and it's currently June 2019 by the way, if you're listening well after this was recorded, she cleaned up at the Scottish Comedy Awards winning Best Headliner and Best Show against some heavy duty competition. She was the fastest selling act at the Glasgow International Comedy Festival three years running, and with a solid fan base, Susie isn't only flying, she's not even got started yet, guaranteed. We talk about how her friend's devastating cancer diagnosis led to her enrolling in a comedy course as a way of grabbing life by the scruff of the neck and doing something scary and exhilarating. Susie talks about growing up in the East End of Glasgow before moving to the Garngad. She recounts her experiences of being gay at a time when the world was a far less welcoming and accommodating place for gay people. We talk about old Glasgow grandparents and her nana and papa living through World War II and also her brilliant relationship with her grandparents and I guarantee you that you'll know people like them and it'll put a smile on your face. Susie shares her thoughts on modern feminism and how sticking together will see us progress a lot faster than division will and we discuss her past stand-up show, The Drugs Don't Work, in which she talks about the ineffective method of self-medication for mental health issues through the medium of drinking drugs. We share our personal thoughts and methods for dealing with issues such as depression and anxiety. We have a bit of chat about cocaine use and how much it will wreak havoc with your brain if you're not in a good place to be taking it. Each to their own, and if you can get right in amongst it and you'll be fine, then batter in, you know, enjoy yourself if that's what you're after. Just know when it's the right time. That's kind of what we're getting at. It'll do you a favour. Susie's a first-class comedian and professionally respected across the board, but the most important aspect of her is her character and her personality. You won't find a nicer, warmer, more genuine person, and I'm delighted that I know her. An absolute diamond. And if you enjoy listening to this half as much as I enjoyed her company while recording, you're in for a belter. Also, thanks very much to the legends at the Crown on Duke Street for letting me in to record again. It's much appreciated. As always, the conversation will continue over in Flick Chat, where we'll be chatting about this episode and all the usual part related to certain themes and subjects. It's a great way to connect with people who are actively discussing the heavier topics, such as mental health, gambling issues, but also just getting a laugh over each episode. The partner is good, so I'm on. The link to join is available on Twitter, or give me a shout and I'll send you it directly. Enjoy! So as you've just heard me absolutely raving about her in the intro... I'm joined by a comedian 
who has got the distinction of simultaneously being one of the most exciting new comedians about, but also one of the most established and respected faces. Susie. Are you doing that so nice that's, that's you? A, Thanks, a, mate. Give me, just give me, my, give me that 20 quid when I leave. Right? I'm putting that in a poster. <laughs> um, right, I'm just going to get right into it. First of all, congratulations on your winning the best headliner, best show at the Scottish Comedy Awards on Tuesday. Chuffed bits, chuffed bits. Just, uh, the, you know, they're just two of the biggest awards in the night and, and they pick them up and up against people that you that you love and that you respect and that you've looked up to, you know, as long as what you've been doing the comedy and, and to, to have been given that award. And it's voted for by comedians, promoters... Clubs, so you know it's voted right. for by your peers. It's 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 and it just it's amazing. It's amazing. It's, it's not like there's any possibility for that to be hijacked by yeah, anybody. Yeah, yeah. Remember on Pop Idol when there, there was like a campaign to get Rick Waller to be that's Gareth right, that's right, that's right. So yeah. it's, it's, it's people who obviously know what they're talking about. That yeah, are, yeah, yeah. Are, um, people in the industry, and that's that's pretty well policed as well. So yeah, it's it's great. It's just great. I mean, you who else? So. To kind of paint the picture for anybody who isn't aware of the comedy award, so Kevin Bridges won an award for his show at the Hydro. Best event, yeah. And uh, best TV comedian was Frankie, Frankie Boyle, Boyle so. which uh, um, online was Jeannie Godley. So it's all it was all you know breaking the news. They were up against you know two doors down, still game. Gavin Mitchell, Bobby the Barman, mm-hmm. um, oh, just just great, just great, just good company to be in. So. I mean, you've that, right? So, Kevin Bridges called you a naturally funny storyteller and genuine stand-up, highly recommended. The Scotsman rave about you. Everybody totally bumming you up, and deservedly so. You were runner-up Scottish Comedian of the Year 2012. Was that two years after you kind of took up comedy? It was a year. A year, right? So, that's incredible. Then we've got uh, you, the fastest-selling act at the Glasgow Comedy Festival, three years running. You're playing the Kings, your show Born Believer, in March 2020. Uh, you've been playing at the Fringe, so it would appear that you've been doing comedy forever, but that's <laughs> not really the case, <laughs> no, is it? No, no, just eight and a half years. Eight um, and a half years. So, it was after a friend's cancer diagnosis? Yeah, I was sat with uh, another friend, and we were both friends of her mate who'd been diagnosed with cancer. She'd been away travelling, working... <laughs> living in the Far East and she came back and she got diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer and we were sat with a right good drink in us at 3 in the morning after a good curry and uh, my mate Paul said to me you know we started talking about it because it's so tragic and I was 30 at the time I was going to be 31 in the January and he said we should we should do something we should do something to scare ourselves. And I said, look, I can't jump out a plane. He said, no, but you can do this kind of comedy course and at the end of the course you do a gig. And I says, all right, I'll do that. And so the next morning, he'd stayed over. The next morning, uh, he comes downstairs and he says, oh, do you remember what you agreed to last night? And I was like, you write the cheque, we'll do the course, I'll transfer the money into your bag, <laughs> thinking I am not losing face on this bet. There is no way I'm losing face. Uh, and then we'd, we'd done the course and we'd done the gig and then from that, 
it just really kind of spiralled. But the thing with comedy is it's a marathon, you know. Mm. It's a long process to get good and to to get booked and to get paid. You do a lot of spots for for little or no money. Um, And that's that's your schooling. That's and you're constantly learning every day. Every day you're constantly learning. Well, the last time that we met up, I think I spent about eighty percent of it laughing. So that's, you're, you're naturally very <laughs> naturally funny. funny. Is that were you always considered to be a sort of funny character, or was it something you developed more? No, no, I was always just full of nonsense and carry on. I was that kid at school. I, I kind of spoke about this in my last show where I said, you know, I was the kid at school that was always out in the corridor. Uh-huh. Do you know, I wasn't a bad kid. I was just. I just couldn't be bothered. Carry just on. I just I just carry on in nonsense. And at the end of the day, that's I've always been that kid. Then my brother was telling me that he was even as a toddler. He was like, I would come home from school and you'd be like singing and dancing out the kitchen and just you would always just be doing something. You were always just funny. So I think yeah, it's just something. I've just funny bones. Some people are musical, Aye. you know. You fit quite a how do I put it. How do you pronounce that word? That's like tumultuous. Tumultuous, yeah. Back a wee bit up and down. Yeah. So you, do you find, and we'll kind of discuss those things, but do you find as a sort of maybe a self-therapy or sort of a way of dealing with things that when things are sort of traumatic or upsetting or difficult, would you find humour in them to help you process them and help you deal with them? Oh, a hundred percent. And I think that's a very... Scottish thing. Also, think it's it's probably a bit more specific to West Coast of Scotland Aye. thing. I think it's that thing, and it's probably the Irish influence, you know, because the the only people in the world that will sit around an open casket and have a laugh and a party. <laughs> you know, there's the kind of the darkness Aye. that comes from whether whether is that. I think the humour just lightens it, and I think that's what we do as a society in this part of the world, and I think. That's certainly the way I dealt with things, that you just find the funny in it, because nothing's ever that serious, mm-hmm. you know, and you just you just kind of get on with it. Right, so now let's let's paint the picture, or, or sort of expand on that picture, that, or the image that this listener, whoever's listening, has got of you, and obviously maybe they'll see headlines, they'll see social media, or they'll have heard all the sort of accolades that I've just rhymed off there. So you originated Garahill? Yep. Born, born in Garrahill, uh, lived in Thornbridge Road, moved down to the Glasgow Road at Brackenay when I was three, uh, stayed there till I was 17 and then stayed in the Garn Gad with and my wee Nana Gad. and the Garn Gad with my wee Nana. And uh, so how did that come about? You had to move in there? Had to move, just 1997, told my mum and dad I was gay, they're Catholics of a generation, uh, they didn't really deal with that that well but... Uh, and I moved. I moved in with my nana, who who didn't care. Because uh, she had statues of lady. Oh, oh, more statues in the Vatican. Just everywhere <laughs> you went, the Sacred Heart's eyes were just following <laughs> you about. Uh, yeah, and, and water fonts outside every room. Just yes, you bless yourself. Just I uh, just just standard, just standard. But yeah, and she was absolutely fine. And my parents, you know, they're of a certain age and a certain generation who I understand that. As you look back as an adult, mm. 1997, things still weren't great for homosexuals. Mm. Labour had just came in and they 
had the initial policies. I mean, I think even in 2002, long before he was leader of the Tory party, David Cameron came out and said, you know, we're not having gay marriage because it undermines the sanctity of marriage. Is there any surprise for that dish-faced cunt? <laughs> no, Honestly. I know. But he ultimately was the Prime Minister who put it through, right? Aye. But that was because all the groundwork had been done and, and ultimately people people don't care because there's bigger things to worry about than who's sleeping with who. Aye, as if who puts pineapple on pizza. Aye, aye. Spoke it for us another one. We need to find these people and weed disgusting. these animals. It's disgusting. Jail them. Disgusting. <laughs> That's what Boris Johnson should make as his first policy. I'll get on board with you then, Boris. Aye. Uh, but yeah, aye. So... I uh, moved in with my gran. My gran was absolutely fine, you know. She she really never, never... In fact, my gran one day... I, I was getting ready to go out, and my gran one day was going down to the bingo at St Rocks in the chapel where you could win a bottle of bleach and a packet of caramel wafers. <laughs> and uh, she was going down to the bingo, and I said, oh, I'll get you down. And she put on her wee jacket, and there was an age ribbon on her jacket. And I said, where have you got that? So I used to work in Delmonica's, which was a gay bar. And she would come and see me and she went, oh, got it when I was in in this place in the Royal. And I immediately went, it's the Steve Retson, which was the Steve Retson Clinic, which was set up at the Royal's, like kind of Sandyford type thing. And it was for gay men. And they would come into the pub every week and they would, they would put condoms and lube in the guys' toilets because the one thing the gay communities had to do since the early 80s is, is police the spread of HIV and AIDS because the government, Maggie Thatcher's government, wasn't interested in it mm-hmm. in the early 80s. So what had happened was my nana came into the pub, picked up a, a kind of free gay newspaper called The Pink Paper, read about HIV, read about the the current stats at that time, went down to this clinic at the Royal, went in and said, my granddaughter's gay, can she get this? And they sat her down and they explained, well, she could, but it's very slim, and this is why, and this is why, and they went out and got her cakes. She was in there for three hours, <laughs> just decided, oh, I can't be bothered going my messages the day, I'll go and speak to the homosexuals at the Royal Infirmary. <laughs> And then she's got this wee AIDS ribbon and she was just worried. She went, that AIDS, that HIV, that's a terrible disease, hen, and just wanted to make sure you were safe. But they said you could get hepatitis, so can you just go and get the jags for that? And that was a 77-year-old woman who'd read a paper, didn't knew about AIDS, knew about HIV, mm-hmm. knew about Africa, knew about homosexuals, but suddenly she felt that this was on her doorstep uh-huh. and she had to go and find out that I was going to be okay and right. I think that that just tells you everything about that woman Aye, that, that must have been because at that time as you say societally it was a different and difficult time and you maybe did you feel as if you had to con- not conceal things at times oh yeah I I I 100% and not because I lived in a bad place or I was with bad people or it just the way the it was, was just the world was different. And do you know what, though? It's 2019 and it's not that more different. You know, there's still people getting thrown off roofs in Chechnya. That's horrific. You know, it, and it is horrific and people kind of go, oh, it's all right now you've got the equality, eh? 
We're all the same. I love miles off. Yeah, and I put a thing on Facebook the other week, and I kind of listed things going, you know, have you ever had to worry about that? Have you ever had to worry about that? It was people talking about straight pride. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you, you, every day straight pride. I know. <laughs> every that's, day. That's ridiculous. I saw that as well, that straight pride, and I got really annoyed about it. Because as you see, every day is straight pride. Straight pride. I don't need to worry about Apart from the day that it's gay pride, it's not a straight pride. Do you know what I mean? And I kind of put a thing on it going, do you need to look at holiday brochures and go, we can't really go there because it might be dangerous for us, you know? So as as much as so much has moved on in this country and it's amazing, you look at the world just now, you look at Donald Trump, you look at Boris Johnson, in fact, you look at any of those Tory candidates... You look at the way the Tory party have treated disabled people, old people, young people, uh, our education systems, and you say to yourself, my fear is that he wants to deal with the immigrant problem, and I'm putting the immigrant problem yes, in uh, inverted in kind of quotations here, they come after the gays. And that's because history tells you that's, that's that path that goes there. Uh, and you just think... These things are important, you know, and then, but then you think back and you go, I had a wee 77 year old woman who didn't care that her granddaughter wanted Aye. to sleep with women as long as her granddaughter was happy. That must have gave you a lot of comfort in terms of to be yourself, to go forward, to keep living with the person who is obviously closest yes. to you, yeah. is, is showing you that support. I suppose actually, and this is kind of expanding on that, or somewhat what we've just discussed there, but I suppose it's up to the people who are ultimately. And I say in inverted commas, unaffected by by the kind of issues. Um, I mean, that kind of, it doesn't cross my mind that much because I don't live that each day. But I think when, if I hear about things like that and become aware of it, I'm like, nah, fuck that, I'm going to stand beside Yeah, stand and, that's, beside you. and that's, that's, that's the thing, in the same way that I will stand beside somebody who's not of the same skin colour as me because I'm not having the racism. And I kind of, I make this point in my show my show Domestic Disaster, I make this point in it where I talk about how white straight men have taken an absolute doing the past few years and as a gay working class Roman Catholic lesbian I should be a platinum card holder for feminism and I'm not saying I'm not a feminist but I'm not a a drum banging feminist because I can't get on board with toxic feminism battering guys just because you're a guy and those my point is in the show is that those men in my life who stand beside me will change those men who are toxic because I'll never change them but the more we keep beating up men because you're straight and you're white and you've got a penis the less likely that's going to happen and I kind of defend the guys. I talk about other stuff and sexism and, and internalised misogyny in the family mm-hmm. from, from women in the family and all that kind of stuff. But, and it, I, it's funny, it's really funny. I know <laughs> this sounds a pure barrel of laughs right now, right? But it's funny because I talk about my mum and I'm a storyteller and all that. But there is that serious element to the show when I go, guys, it's alright to be you. I, I see that in social media often and uh like I read somebody say, yeah, like either yesterday or the day before, white or something like straight white men are 
trash or something. And it's like these are privileged. Aye, aye. Like, they've had two hundred years of privilege. I'm like, yeah, but he's twenty eight. He's, he's <laughs> two hundred years old. It's not his fault. I know. I, can't, I read it and I kind of never really thought it. Now, all I did think was there's probably a, this is obviously multifaceted this mm-hmm. statement or whatever. And I was like, but I don't get it. And I was like, oh, that's fine. I'm, I'm sure there's a point to it. I don't get it. But it, one wee part of me did think like. Oh, hold on, I'm, I'm on your side. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. back you up as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's like I remember living in the South Side when it was the Keep the Claws campaign, the Section Twenty Eight stuff, and it was all about trying to get rid of Section Twenty Eight and all this, and there was posters up all over the Section city. Section Twenty Eight for anybody listening. So basically, it was a a policy brought in by Mag- Margaret Thatcher's government to say that you can't. If a child spoke to a teacher about their sexuality and it was homosexuality, that teacher couldn't talk to them about it. There would be no, and again, in kind of quotations, promotion of homosexuality. So you had kids living in a world that was already rejecting them Mm -hmm. for a multitude of reasons, whether it be their social class or their faith or their skin colour or their gender, whatever was going on, and then you lob their sexuality on the top of that and they maybe felt that they couldn't go and talk to their parents, so they couldn't go and talk to a teacher. Mm-hmm. And this teacher would be like, I can't talk to you about this. I will be physically breaking the law if I talk to you about this. So there was a campaign to get rid of it. And Brian Souter, man, one of the ugliest men I've ever seen, ran his own referendum. It cost him a million pounds to put on a referendum to say people don't want to be taught about homosexuality. Brian, see if you're listening, you fucking bam. <laughs> that is the biggest the lady doth protest a little too much totally. I have ever heard it in was, my life. It was all that, it was all that. Uh, and he he just he really tried to harness that. And then there was posters everywhere, you know, you don't want gay education and it pretty much kind of what's going on just now in Birmingham to a certain degree. Uh and that I was living in the South Side. I was living beside Indians, Pakistanis, massive Asian community, and sections of that community took great umbrage that I was living with another woman in that area. Seriously? Yeah, yeah and I was sitting going, I've defended you my whole life uh-huh. for being Indian, Pakistani, Chinese, whatever you may be, I will defend you, but now you're putting shite through my letterbox. Oh, that's a fucking disgrace. You know what I mean? And that that's, that's a very hard thing. They still try and be true to your principles because yeah. it's the minority. But when you're going, I will stand up for you, but you will abuse me. Aye. That's a very difficult thing. And it's very easy, as what we've seen recently in modern day politics, yeah. to go, I'm going to go down that path where I don't like you because of your skin. Aye. But as you can to actually. That populist. That's got to be the ultimate testament to integrity, to, to still stand by the principles that you know. To still stand up for what you know to be right, even though you have, you could say, every emotional human reason to to not to then go against that. Yeah, because you just got to think, nah, you're the minority. There's 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 a million more people who are better than you in your community, and I'm gonna I'm gonna side with them because you you'll get flushed out somewhere. Because if you if you hate me for being gay, you'll hate me for a whole host of other things, yeah. and you'll hate a whole load of other people. Aye. So let's not be you. Imagine spending your life consumed with that much anger. Like, see that Brian Souter guy, right? He, with a million pounds, he could have flown on a private jet with, like, four models, 
two Rolexes on his arm, aye. pet tiger, aye. silk aye. jammies, and flaunt a like San Tropez, being on a yacht, paying like I don't know. He could have done anything with that money. That is pure trying to commit. Like I went, he's probably have had a homosexual air steward oh. looking after him <laughs> as well. <laughs> for the great irony. He's, like who are you trying to convince, Brian? Because like. What's the threat, Brian? I know, like, what is up with you? I went to see, um, I went to see Westlife the other week. Amazing. And, oh, they were fucking brilliant, by the way. I was never sitting down once. And somebody went like to me, that's fucking gay, by the way. And he's like, imagine going to see Westlife. And I was like, see if I was gay and trying to hide it. The first thing I would do is call somebody else gay for going to see Westlife. And the last thing I'd do is go and see Westlife. I was like, I think you might be... You've maybe got some issues to deal exactly. with. Exactly, and there was a wee spell there for a couple of years where kids were doing that, like, oh, it's gay. And I was like, just stop that now. Aye, that's shit. Just part, stop that. It's I, just, did that it's as just... a, I did that myself as a wee guy, and then you, you learn you, as you grow up that that's not really acceptable. But see, that that needs to be washed out by parents early Definitely. on. Like, you would never, if a child called another child the N-word, <laughs> right, there would be a stushy... Wait. Are we talking about nincompoop? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doing nincompoop. But, you know, the parents would, would stamp down on that. Oh, I 100%. But if you hear them say, you know, that's gay, they go, it's just boys. Because it's almost like their internalised fear uh-huh. that if they're not saying that kind of stuff, they might be. Like, oh, Do man. you think, now with that Section 28 thing, and uh, let's just say a child uh, realises they're gay early on, and I'm kind of just imagining this concept here maybe I'm just totally making this up and there's no rationale to it whatsoever let's just say they're gay and they don't fit in anywhere and they then start to think well I just must become asexual otherwise I'm fucked do you think that is what pushed we see a lot of priests that turn out to be gay do you mm-hmm. think they enter the, a lot of people enter uh, the priesthood because they just felt marginalised like, where the fuck did I go I think they just they just hid themselves it was just safe because they couldn't tell their mother uh, they couldn't tell their father and I think over certainly over of a generation that is where they hid I used to have a joke where I'd say oh you know when you get a new priest in the parish and you find out he's gay and everybody just breathes a sigh of relief because <laughs> they know the kids are going to be safe do you know what I mean <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> because there is an element in that it's true they go if you met the new priest he's gay he's lovely like that that is how open that that became you know and you're sitting and you're saying to yourself eh, that's great but if only he could live his life as a gay man I and still was. be a priest I... you know what I mean and, and you're going Honestly, having a people rationalise that by going, well, having a gay priest is better than having a priest that you might have suspicions over. That is how that was rationalised. Like it was almost like we were the lesser of two evils, and you're going, that's that's a horrific way to think. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, but that is how people thought, and, and do think. Do you know what I mean? I feel I, f- I really if I, I love can... it. Sorry to interrupt. I love it though when people go, you go that that priest gay, and they're like. No, he is not. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember serving him in the pub 20 years ago. <laughs> and they're like, because that happened to me at my uncle's funeral. Uh, I went to my <laughs> uncle's funeral and I was asked to do the offertory. It was my nana's brother. And I was asked to do the offertory and a member of the family was like, I don't think Susan can do the offertory with her lifestyle. <laughs> this is like 1998, 1999 and then it's all ding dong and we all stand up and the priest comes down he stands in the altar and he turns around and I'm the second row at the end of the row and he just 
the colour drained from his face because he was in the pub five nights a week. Aye. In the gay bar. Five nights a week, being a gay man. How, how have you, because you grew up as a Catholic, and it was obviously it was very prominent in, around you, like your family and stuff in terms of the whole concept. Did you feel marginalised as yes. time went on? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I felt that my faith deserted me. Because mm-hmm. I was I was brought up Catholic, went to Catholic school, uh, done done all done the sacraments, done all the stuff that you need to do, and I felt that my faith completely deserted me because of my way of life. And then when my nana passed away, I spoke to the the priest at St Bridget's, which is where we had my nana's funeral, and he was lovely. And I sat and I spoke to him about it, and he was laughing at all the hymns I chose because he was like these are proper old school Catholic funeral hymns great choice <laughs> and I was like to be fair they're the only ones I remember do you know what I mean <laughs> it's been a while father um, and then I was at a communion the other week and the priest it's maybe about late 40s early 50s and he was he'd done this beautiful sermon and it was about social media and judging and the life we live and and how his mate's an atheist, and he just gave this... A, and I was sat going, see if you just spoke like that every week, Aye. and you've all done it, and it was a really open and honest and... Like a more human approach. Yeah, and you just kind of sat there and you went, I really agree. If I was having a conversation up with you, I would be really enjoying this chat. You know what I mean? Let's Aye. just take away the statues and the outfit and me in a pew and you kind of in a raised altar... And there's a two human beings and one human's being and the other one's listening and you're just sitting there and you go, mm-hmm. that, was, that was great, you know? And that's the really sad thing because I think, I think the thing with, with religion is, regardless of what your religion is, it can give you that kind of hour of quiet time. That's what I find it to be. see often when I'm in Mass, I don't actually hear what the priest says. I'm just in a sort of deep, what I've now come to realise is like a deep meditation. Yeah. Where I'm just, and it started off as a wee guy getting bored and just not listening, but then my mind would wander. I would just completely wander, and it's like I would let the thoughts come to me instead of me summoning the thoughts or whatever. Yeah. And then you kind of snap out it, and I'd be like, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed that. Enjoy that kind of hour where you, because you're not looking at a phone. No. And probably more now than ever, Aye. people need that hour. Definitely. To just, and it, it's not necessarily about the Bible or the prayers or what the priest's saying it's just sitting for an hour where you're not talking Aye. and you're just with your own thoughts and that might give you if you're having a hard time if you've got a lot going on if you're, if you're stressed it might just give you an hour to put things into perspective definitely because you will not sit in the house for an hour without TV, radio, phone, tech something do you know what I mean? there's always something sort of stimulating your brain at now that that over hyper stimulation isn't good for you. No, we, no. Know, we know that, but yeah, we continue to continue to subject ourselves to it. Um, I spoke about that side of your family. You had a very unique, special bond with your grandfather as well. Ah, oh, my wee papa, my wee papa. I mean, he died when I was like five, you know. But he was he was a terrible husband, terrible father great granddad <laughs> <laughs> he was that guy he was an absolute rogue man man he was he was in work and out of work and in work and out of work and obviously as time has grown on and I spent so long with my nana 
and, and you get the stories as you get older, you know, and you get to hear more of the story the older you get, you know. Aye. And, you know, it's just, you know, he'd been in the pub, bevied, you know, spend all the wages, and he was a lamplighter for the council, so his run was Black Hill to Springburn. So he literally, what, lit gas lamps? Lit, lit lamps, aye. Bloody hell. all weathers. So, like, uh, Black Hill, down the Royston Road, through the Blaine Tunnel, and up round that lower part of Springburn, up like Darnick Street and all that. Up at Mabbit. Aye, so, he, but then because he'd done that job, it also meant he could be the bookies' runner. <laughs> because he was up the closest, lighting aye, the lights, would he? So, it also meant that Charlie put half a, shir- put a shilling or half a crown or get that and get that, which equally meant that he spent all his money on the horse and then the bruiser. And do you know, my nana said, see, five nights a week, he was as quiet as a mouse, he'd sit, he'd read his paper, he'd smoke his fag, he'd whatever, you know, and then the two nights a week, he would swear drinking him, he was the devil, just the devil, you know, and, but as a grandfather, he was just great, you know, he, Mark would go to the football, he'd sit, he'd sit, watch a horse racing, I'm on the candy cigarettes, <laughs> something to throw off of his beer. Did they all used to light your thing? I used to light it, and then if I ran out of candy cigarettes, I'd get a wee puff of his real cigarette. <laughs> yep, yep. Then my mum and dad are like, we don't know where you get that smoking from. I can pray with it since age of five. You told me that story, I remember being in tears when he's like, <laughs> he says, have you ran out? Have <laughs> you ran out? Is that as if I'm saying, yeah. oh, I've got another packet in my wallet. <laughs> That's my yeah. wallet, Papa. Cheat a draw of that. Aye, and he, 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 and he loved the hoops, and he, we would sit and we'd listen to the football and we'd watch the highlights, and oh, he was just, he just adored me and my brother, you know, Aye. and he had lost a son, so my brother kind of, and Mark's eight years older than me, so he'd replicated that, mm-hmm. that bond there, you know, and he just thought the absolute world of us, and... We thought the absolute world of the two of them, you know, even in my, my nana's dying day, you know, me and my brother were absolutely heartbroken. And in fact, my nana died, uh, if you've seen me do a set, you know, this what I say, my nana died the night before we went to vote in Brexit. Right? All right. So she died on the Wednesday night. Uh, she lived a long time. A long time, long time. And on the Thursday, I'd phoned my mum in the morning and I said, what are you? She went off, get the dentist and the hairdressers. I said, well, my nana's died, your mum's died, you don't need to go to the dentist, but you can go to the hairdressers, it'll maybe perk you up a bit. I said, I'll come up and see you and we'll go and vote. She went, right. So I goes up and we've done the vote and I come down the road and by this point I've not slept really for two or three nights and I watched the first result come in from Sunderland and I seen that it went the kind of breaks at me and my partner Nicola said to me, just just go to bed. Just just go to bed and get asleep. So I wake up the next morning, she was getting ready for work. It's five o'clock in the morning. She's like, hey. I was like, hey. <laughs> She's like, do you get me sleep? And I was like, yeah. And this was the day we were going to the funeral directors and all that. And she's like, big day today. And I was like, I know. And I was listening. She's like, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And she leaned over and she kind of kissed me in the head. And she went, and we're out of Europe. And I was like, are you fucking joking? So I gets up out of my bed, pulls the doobie straight into the living room, puts the telly on. And the first person I see is Norman Tebbit, right? So I go online and I see my brothers online. And I phone him and he's like, are you all right? And I was like... No, I am not alright. Oh, Nana, 
is lying in a fridge and fucking Norman Tebbit's on my telly. <laughs> How does that even work? I said, no, even the IRA could kill that bastard, right? Because <laughs> his wife, when that bomb, his wife ended up paralysed in oh, the fucking bomb, right? And, uh, and he was, he was, my brother's laughing. I was like, man, and I'm totally serious. I'm like, See when the end of the world comes, Mark, there'll be two things that survive, cockroaches and Norman fucking Tebbit. What crypts that bastard out of <laughs> And he was like, Yes, yeah, a cockroach. This is the anger setting in for the grief in it. You're not dealing with Anna's death well. And I'm like, No, I'm fucking not. <laughs> but Norman Tebbit got my absolute wrath, man. Just like, fuck my wee Nana's in the fridge and this bastard lives and breathes. A man, a horrible bastard there, man. Hopefully people like that don't have... Don't have too much long left. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, my papa was, he was just, oh, just a great guy. And he totally infused, him and my nana just infused that absolute Celtic love. And, and also the kind of, the Roman Catholic thing of you need to do well, you need to do better, you need to work hard because otherwise you're going to find it difficult to get a job. So you need to be the best mm. so that they need to take you. That that was the school that they came from. Aye, aye, for that very much old school. Our season need not apply. And... Yeah, so my papa was born 1915, 1916. Wow, yeah, fucking hell. Was, my nana was 1920. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, so things like the Second World War were really tangible uh-huh. because my nana was, 30, was, was 19 when it broke out in 39. That's wild, isn't it? She was a war bride. She got married in 1940. Wow. You know, so for things like, you know, she lost her youngest brother and stuff like that in the war. He, he was killed um, flying into France, flying in, get caught in a tree. Sniper took him out, the sniper, German sniper in my barn. He was 19. Like, we, we know about, there's a million stories like that and you, you hear them in documentaries and you read Hashtag them in books. Astonish. You see them. Yeah. Hashtag story. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you, um, you. <laughs> it's only Rangers fans that died in the war. <laughs> um, you hear this, but to, to have that actual link, you know, to somebody who yeah. can see that, that it was their family, to have that, as you say, that tangible link where, you know, that that's somebody that they knew, they're telling you, you're getting that first hand. Aye, like she used to say, because the, the air raid shelter was down at uh, St Rock's. And uh, it, was, it was in the primary school, and she would go out and get the rolls, like the, the hot baker's rolls at like 7 o'clock at night and make up the rolls so that if there was a, an air raid, which invariably there was, they would take the because you didn't know how long you were going to be down mm. there, so you'd have your rolls, your gas mask, all that kind of thing. And she had a brother, John, and John, when he was back home from, from being in the Air Force, it would be like, John, that's the raid. He's like, Hitler's going to kill me. I'm dying in my bed. I'm not dying in my shelter. I'm no danger. <laughs> you know, and that, that uh, kind of stuff are, are like, she go, or my nana used to have this thing of going, oh, there's a queue. And I'd be like, what is it with queues? And she'd be like, see, John, the war, see if you've seen a queue. You joined it. Because it meant that there was something in. Might have been uh, sugar. Aye, aye. Might have been that. So, do you know what I mean? Aye. So, this kind of stuff. And then she would talk about how the butchers in the local area would see in the street and say, Come in on Wednesday about four o'clock, maybe a couple of extra sausages. Because do you know what I mean? So that kind of stuff. Because and these shops looked after their own community. Do you know what I mean? Because they weren't. They, it was all in ration books, so they weren't getting any more money at it. Aye, aye. It was just that you know. And then like 
the GIs at the Barrowland and the tights and the chewing gum and the American GIs aye, that came aye, when over. They came and, over. And, and, you know, like, so my nana never really had much time for them because she lost her brother uh-huh. while they were out dancing. Uh, Do you yeah. know what I mean? That's how she's seen it. But... It's utterly fascinating. Yeah, great, great. And then even before that, like, she used to talk to me because she was the, the only daughter in a family of boys since she was the second oldest. So she, she was a skivvy. So she used to talk about going down the steamy and all that. She loved going to the washhouse. You know what I mean? So just Aye. a different world, a different time that's really still very tangible because it was part of my growing up. It was, it was part of my, my youth. I don't mean to like romanticise what was obviously the horrors of war, but I feel like if I could go back to any time period just to walk about and see, see what, what it was, was like, because like. I'm utterly fascinated by, you know, in the People's Palace and you've got the... Yeah. It's like the 1930s, 1940s flat and then they have to go to the Anderson shelter and all aye, that. Aye, and, aye, aye. and it's like they are red siren and it's just utterly fascinating. Even like, so... Even like her gran, like, so see the stories and stuff like that, like, so her gran lost her mum, so my gran never had a gran, right? Mm-hmm. And the dad, there was a boy and two sisters, so he put the two sisters into the convent in White Hill Street. So this is now like 18 something, like the, the, the oh, latter part of that, before we go into like the, the 20th century, uh-huh. 1900s. So they were parked down to White Hill Street, and nobody knew where they were. They were in a convent, and then one day, my grand's mum get handed a letter to go and post in Duke Street, which is literally, a, it's like we're, we're talking about 500 yards from where mm-hmm. we're sat, to go and post the letter. She met an auntie who was like, where have you been? We're in the convent. Oh, no, we're not having that. Straight down, gets the two kids, takes them down to the canton and rares them as their own. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, no, you're not being in the convent. Like, just... That kind of stuff is mind-blowing. I know, it's it's insane. But, yeah, fascinating. It is utterly fascinating. I would love to... There's a... I can't remember what it's called, but I think there's... In Garnet Hill, maybe, there's, like, a tenement that's been preserved for what it was like in the 30s, like a tenement flat. I'm going to go up and make a point of seeing that soon. Um, I'm actually doing a show called... I'm leaving going to see what it's called, or the network, but it's for a network, and that's kind of one of the things I'll be kind of focusing on, yeah. like in terms of historic Glasgow. Even even stuff like like when you need to describe to people like a pulley, like a pulley in a kitchen. Aye, aye, we were talking about that recently, my grand had one, uh-huh. where you put the clothes I'll in. I'll put the chip pan on, then I'll, I'll just, <laughs> won't, if the clothes survive the chip pan, uh, they'll then just be stinking of a, grease. A chip pan, God, a I'm chip not, pan and, remember there used to be the big thing about the chip pan fires. And aye, it was like get a, a wet dish towel and aye. put it over the flames and just, just do, don't throw water on you. Aye. And then it was like, because your grand would make homemade fritters and homemade chips aye. and all that. No, no, I love being by the way. amazing. See the taste. I mean, had like a a certain darkness to the chips, and you could they, they're all if you were to squeeze them, the oil would pour it. Aye, aye, aye. I would give anything to to get a, a wee thing with a chip pan chips. Aye, so just just a different kind of nostalgia. Aye. See what, what the whole time you were talking about your papa felt like. I know about six. You basically could have been talking about six or seven guys. I know for that era, and I, I dare say anybody listening would also have the image of their own person in their head. And it's like that just the whole Glasgow persona demeanour, just for for that bygone era. I only ever like there's pictures of me as a toddler with my papa, like sat at his feet and all that. But I'll never really remember my papa in bed, four seven five Royston Road, and he always like the grey hair side parting to the side 
and there's see the smell of brill cream. <laughs> it always reminds me of my papa. Really? I could happily smell uh-huh. it because, and it's a childhood uh, instant just, thing. Instantly takes I, you back. It's a bit like homemade soup. Aye. Just reminds me of walking into bananas because there was always a pot of homemade soup on. Oh, you my, know, my grand's good for homemade oh, soup. Can he beat it? Oh, they're good for homemade soup, waving and feeding you well. Oh, I, I left aye. with a packet of snowballs from my grand's the other day and they all get tapped. A 12 packet tanned within three days. See, when I used to work in the sites, <laughs> see if I went up dirty, I knew I was getting an extra totty and an extra bit of steak. <laughs> see the dirty air I went in, my nana's like that. Oh, hen, you've had some day to You've been mucking hard, hen. Extra grub, extra grub. See if I was just doing the maintenance and I went in quite clean with my work t shirt on, my trousers, she'd be like, you know what, my day? <laughs> just maintenance. All right. You know, and she kind of look a bit disappointed Aye. as if you've no done a I had a meeting in rubbing my face with Aye. that. Aye, literally finding a site, just like, do you mind if I roll about in the jet rock, mate? <laughs> so, for, what was life like then for, for 17 onwards? Let's say it's between 17 and 30, because you, in your show and the drugs don't work, you talked about sort of self-medicating with recreational drugs. I mean, what were you so self-medicating? That was before, that was before, when I was 17, I gave up the drugs. All right, all right. Uh, that was kind of 12 to 17. Dana's I, proud, by the I, way. I, and I think for me, that was all just about my sexuality. Right, okay. And, and was it like a sort of, just a repression of your reality in terms of your thoughts? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think just knowing, just trying to numb yourself from knowing that what you are. That's and, a fucking and, shame, that And is. not... You know, not in, in, you know, at this point, you know, my brother's in the Royal Air Force, my, you know, you know, he's a blue-eyed boy, do you know what I mean? Uh, I know that I'm going to let them down, uh, I can't be annoyed with school, I liked my sport, I liked my rugby, liked my football, mm-hmm. like playing the sports, uh, so that was probably the one thing that kept me reasonably alright. Took a lot of drugs, drank, uh, I really hammered it and then once I came out and I moved into my nana's I went I'm never I'm never I'm not doing that anymore mm-hmm. and just stopped it in the absolute drop of a hat and then from that you know I met my first girlfriend that didn't work out and then age 19 I met my future wife at a time when you didn't think you'd ever be a future no. wife and we were together for 16, 16 years. We were married for two of those years. We split up uh, four and a half years ago, something like that. Um, no, three and a half years. Ah, no, four and a half. But uh, we separated. Um, but yeah, so I was with someone who kept me, you know, on the straight and narrow, and eventually we got a house and dogs and, and all that, and then we get married, and then two years after that, it... it we sadly separated, but it's it was that that kept me right. That and my nana, because mm-hmm. I went and seen my nana two or three times a week. I used to take a shop on a Saturday morning, and I'd go up two nights during the week because I just loved her company. Mm. I just loved sitting with her and loved her company. And she never ever got to see me do stand up, probably for the best. <laughs> uh, but she knew that I would do it, and I would go in and see her. And then towards the end of her life, when she had moved in with my mum and dad, and I would go in and see her, and then I had moved in with my mum and dad with the, the end of my marriage. And I would go in and she'd go, your mum and dad said your show was great. They said you were this, and her face 
would just light up. Uh, oh, it, it, absolutely. Because see, when I told her I was doing it, she went, oh, that's good, Ten, that's great. But then, see, I think she's seen me, like, moving on and saying to her, I sold out that. I sell out, was it a sell out? That's great. Do you know what I mean? She's just, uh-huh. and seeing it. So, see, when I do go to the Kings, there is a wee bit of me that's like, I know you're not in the box, I know I, you're not in the room, but I know that you're here. Yeah, I dare you know say I mean? should be there, completely there and watching. God, that language is atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of feel like I want to ask this question, maybe, because you never know, a lot, like a fucking, that's such a wanky statement, I was about to say a lot of people listen to this podcast, right, but they do, Yeah, and I want to ask this question on behalf of anybody who might be in a similar position to what you find yourself in around about 17, and who may also be, uh, I don't know, worried, or maybe scared about speaking to their parents, or maybe they've their parents have had a similar reaction to yours, I don't know. But your parents have got have went to see your show. They were raving oh, about it. So aye. how things got better with them? Yeah, because you know, nineteen ninety seven, but in twenty nineteen, they were at my wedding when I get married. You know, they they knew my ex. They were supportive. They, you know, times change, times move on, people's change. People see the error of their ways. I will never hold it against my mum and dad because I may not agree with it, but I understand where they were coming from, uh-huh. right? And it wasn't, it was hot. And it wasn't actually really my mum, it was more my dad. And the irony being that I was a total daddy's girl my uh-huh. whole life, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, dad, you did get me some beauty on Skeletric, so what you're so surprised at. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'll never hold it against them because, and do you know what? Time moves on, and we all do things that we regret. And I don't, I'll never, I never ever bring it up, and they never bring it up because I know that they need to live with that every day. And that, that I know, and I've had some drunk conversations where it's, it's kind of approached it, and I can see the tears, and I go, it's all right, we'll get our drink back, do you know, but nah. because I, th- there's nothing to be gained from that, mm-hmm. there's nothing to be gained. If you find yourself in that situation where you even just think, I'm worried about it, I'm, I'm stressed out, I don't think they're going to react well, I don't think they're going to do this, put what you think behind you and, and just go and do it, because regardless of their reaction, you're the braver person for doing it. Mm-hmm. But also, don't ever underestimate the power of how much someone loves you, you know. And my nana was who I was terrified of telling because she was, I was the apple of her eye, right, and her me, you know. And and, and my nana just <laughs> looked at me, ten seconds. Does this being gay mean you can't put a kettle on, right? <laughs> and that was, that was it. That uh, was it, you know, and lovely. you're going... So, as much as what you might think you've got a, a, a granny or a great-granny or an auntie or somebody that you don't want to tell, they don't care. And see, see today, in today's modern world where you're seeing the rise of the right and all this kind of stuff, people understand that there's bigger things. There's kids eating out of food banks. There's, mm-hmm. there's bug beds in school. Did you see that the other day? And it's just... Did you see what Jim Davidson said yeah, yesterday? Yeah, Jim Davidson. I mean, he fucking, still lives and fucking breathes. What a dickhead. Just horrid. Just pure anger. Part of me is like, I kind of see beyond. So for anyone listening, Jim Davidson said 
yesterday that um, people only use food banks because they want free food. So I'm waiting for an iPad bank. Yeah. Did you see what I said back to him? Yes, I did. I was absolutely howling at and that. Do you know what's true? And we can't say, but it's a comedian that you and I both know. Yes, yes. But he doesn't want me to say it because he says Jim Davidson sues people. But I basically replied saying, I was at the stand and the comedian told a story about his brother working at the pavilion. And during your show, each night he was tasked with handing you an apple, which you took a bite of as part of a skit. And his brother used to... Ru- his brother said... Before he handed him the apple, he would rub it right against his arse and then give him it. And he also rubbed it somewhere else. And then Jim Davidson would take a bite of it it's every night. Man. Get it right up you. And you can't say that's not deserved. It's just... How ill would you be? But imagine, like... Just... Just... Uh, he's just a really hate-filled guy. And part of me is like, maybe I should try and be a wee bit compassionate and be like, what happened to you that you're like that? But then again, I just... I don't think, think anything's happened I, to him. I think Jim Davidson has stayed... While the world has evolved, and he doesn't, he can't he, handle. He can't find his place in he, it. Uh, he can't handle because it. his place is that he is a white straight guy, and women should be in the kitchen, and you know people that only white should be like cleaning his house, and that isn't the world that we live in. Thankfully, thankfully that is not the world we live in. Uh, but Jim Davidson can't can't see past that you know he's probably the type of guy to say I took the wife out last night with one punch uh, do you know what I mean he's uh, that type of guy and he's just he's just horrible horrible and see if you've got a guy like that in your family and that's why you're worried about coming out fucking come out with his face right in it because he they need to see the world they're not going to ever do anything I heard about a story as well that somebody shared about Jim Davidson when he was playing like fucking Butlins or something and he was Dick Whittington in a panto, and he's on stage, and he says, like, to the crowd, like, do you know who I am? And a wee guy shouted, I, I, you're a fucking wanker. <laughs> and he, he, was, he kept forgetting his lines because he was so raging about it, and then during the interval, he's been out to try and confront this wee guy. Amazing. <laughs> about, about 14, imagine, like, a 14-year-old rattling you that much. He, uh, I know somebody that went to see him in panto when it was in Glasgow a couple of years ago, and apparently he was just a real sleaze with even the young lassies on the stage and stuff. He's just everything that you would never want any man in your family to Aye. be. Any guy that you care about, you just hope that they, were, they weren't that guy. Truly repugnant and reprehensible. It's the type of guy that would kiss you in the lips. Aye. You know what I mean? Doesn't know you would kiss you in the lips. Just horrible, horrible. Squeeze past you when he doesn't need to squeeze past you. Oh. Rotten. Aye. Um... Kind of touching on the 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 drugs don't work show because mm-hmm. you kind of spoke a lot about you know basically about mental health issues like anxiety and depression. Yeah. How we don't talk about it in this part of the world and we find solace and comfort in drugs and alcohol. I mean, how do you, we talked about it? We talked about cocaine. You remember a wee while oh, back. It's unbelievable. Like, what are your kind of general thoughts, or what do you kind of get at in the show? So for me, when the drugs don't work, I talk about taking loads of drugs and why. I kind of discovered as I was older why I'd done it. I'd done mm-hmm. it because I was so ashamed of being a homosexual. Um, and then I realised that that world was fabulous, so it was all right. But <laughs> um, And for me, the drug thing was a solace and all that. And, and I was quite lucky. I was a generation, so my brother's generation were the glue sniffers and the gas buzzers. Mm. My generation was hash and acid and speed 
The generation in between was harsh acid and speed. So you speed? found heroin. Do you eat speed? Yeah, you could do. I, I, you could maybe wrap it in a cigarette paper and drop it as a wee bomb. Or you could snort it. Some, I remember somebody tried to give me speed and it looked like um, blue tack or plasticine. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Mm. And it was a, I ended up back at some horrible house party. And somebody's like, here, I've got a bit of speed. And just, it, it looks like, like plasticine. And I was like, that's not fucking... No, speed looked more like coke, really, just a powder. I know you can get it in powder form, I just wasn't sure. I wanted to... I've, all, I've often wondered that, and I didn't know what to ask, I didn't know what to look at. But then, in saying that, right, in the drugstore workshop, I spoke about one of my mates, when I had, so I had a prolapse disc in my back, and uh, one of my mates said, mate, never mind all these drugs, I was on 33 tablets a day, I was on tramadol, I'm a triptylin, everything like real heavy, oh, I was just out, out my face, uh, trying to deal with this prolapse disc, and one of my mates says, what you need a bit of hash, I'll get you a bit of hash, and he came back with hash, which is obviously grass, right, which is weed. So back in the day, that was skunk, because we were, we were resin, we were mm-hmm. council soap bar, and I'm like, the fuck is this? And he's like, it's hash, just put a wee bit in a joint, so I was like, I used to smoke this stuff all the time, have a bag <laughs> in the joint. <laughs> And I was just could move about. I was making myself toasted cheese and all sorts. Then I put the other half of the bag in another joint and I had that. And then I had to go to hospital because I had a full blown panic attack because I was on amitriptyline and all sorts. But then I had to then tell the nurse, I've done in a bag of hash. (laughs) And she's like, How many joints? And I was like, Two. She's like, You're a fucking idiot. (laughs) But yeah, so what had happened was. um, it, it was that, and I don't like. I don't have a problem with people taking drugs. It's up to them. Mm-hmm. I, please stop coming to comedy clubs on coke, right? Because it's much. no fun for you, Aye. and no fun for me, Aye. and no fun for the audience. How do you how do you deal with? See somebody shouting. Do you have like set replies, or do you just kind of go with it? I just go in. It, it depends. Like there's some people who you think you just want all the attention, so I'm Aye. giving you nothing. Or if it's somebody that comes out, or if it's somebody that's quite offensive or something, mm-hmm. you just get absolutely torn about them. And, and if you do that, you generally find it. Slaughter, yeah, just, just get in with the slaughter. Kill them. First, first hit. Don't even give them a chance to respond. Straight in the fucking windpipe. Just straight in, man. Down you get. Back in your seat. Head in your hands. And don't even look at me. And then that's it. You just carry on. Because it's not my night, it's ruined. It's everybody. It's everybody. It's by. you've paid. You've been working all week. Aye. That might be you. You might have three, four kids. You've been working all week. You've got a wee night out with the wife. It's your one night out that month. And then there's some banger sitting. And you're like, ah, oh, man, my life's really hard to know I just wanted a laugh now I need to sit and listen to him can hecklers ever be funny no nah. they're never funny there's I went to I was at the stand with my pal about two years ago and uh, there was a guy it was two couples were in and the guy the the, the, the comedian said something about uh, oh, I'm really fucking thoughts and prayers about everybody in Kilmarnock like, I'm absolutely gutted for them and then he went nothing happened they just live in Kilmarnock so, yeah, so everybody's like started laughing and this guy pure raging face like just I, I won't describe him because I might offend people right but just imagine a pure dickhead and uh, he's like heat, baldy, uh, pure meathead baldy, right? and he's like 45, 50 what's, what's wrong with Kilmarnock and then the guy's like 
mate, it's a fucking joke, like, gonna, I'm, I'm at work, like, gonna be quiet, and the guy just kept, kept getting angry, and kept getting angry, and uh, he was with, so he was at the far end, the two women were on the side, and the guy, uh, another guy was on the other side, so the guy's like, is this your pal? And the other guy says, no, I just get forced to come out on a double date, I don't like this guy, so that just wound him Amazing. right up. Amazing. Totally wound him right up, and then he's, the guy's, t- the comedian's backed in his act, and then, I think the guy, the comedian was slagging him. He's back in his act, and then the angry guy's wife goes, "How hey, where are you for? And he's, the guy's like, Jesus fucking Christ, have you not learned your lesson? So he absolutely hammered him, the guy was raging. Long story short, the raging guy put his hand up a young lassie's skirt on the way back to the toilet, and the bouncers absolutely dragged him out. And we get thanked for it. Was, he did it beside me and my pal, and I just had steam coming out of the ears. I want to bite this guy's face. That's a new, what is what? What is me? Like, what is up with people? Man. We get a free drink because the the manager was like, you, you showed a lot of restraint. I, I said, and when I say a meathead, it was like a wee angry, I just, just a wee horrible guy. A bit full of like, this is my role in the world. Aye, and I just remember thinking like, why why are you here? Like, yeah. why are you in here? Have you just done a like a good gram before you came <laughs> in? I don't. I, I do think that there is a, a correlation between the amount of drug abuse of, of cocaine just now Aye. and male suicide. Hundred percent, I agree. The, the suicide rate in men between twenty five and forty five, or twenty five and fifty, or twenty and fifty, whatever way you look at those stats, is horrendous. I know. And they are the absolute prime target cocaine users mm. and you're like do you know what boys there's something wrong that that you are feeling the need to go out get off your face and then just end it like so we've got society's problems and all that there and I understand that there might be a kind of loss with with, with, with straight guys just now going I don't quite know where we fit in but work out where you fit in mm-hmm. don't do yourself in. If you're feeling that way, or if they the tendency, aye, the tendency are coming. Don't be, because we kind of talked about it, it's people feeling low and then going out and smashing a gram and like a lot of booze and feeling absolutely on top of the world. But yeah. then the crash, you're going to end up even lower than when you first started. I mean, I really suffer from anxiety, aye. and I've had several bouts of depression over the past fifteen, twenty years. And I reckon a lot of that was to do with a lot of the drug abuse in the younger days. And then I think it's also my chemical makeup. I think I I, I just struggle with life sometimes. Not like all life's so difficult, just kind of like, right, okay, let's go again another day. You know, what am I achieving the day, kind of? And it's tough and it's hard. And I get really low sometimes. Uh, but I'll talk to someone, I'll talk to a mate, I'll go for a coffee. If it's continued and my and I'm kind of pendulum back and forward, I'll go to the doctor. I'll mm-hmm. go and speak to a doctor, I'll go and speak to a counsellor. I will try and do something. I'll go to the gym more, I'll see my friends more, I'll work less. Aye. It's, it's, it's something... I think the stats, when i done this show, the statistics were... One in four people in the UK suffer from mental health issues. In Scotland, it's one in three. 
Mm. Now, I reckon if you had to split Scotland up, the West would be way higher than the East. Uh, and I think I think we all struggle. I think we all struggle. And I think alcohol, drugs, have all got something to do with it. See, if you want to take drugs, get to take drugs. Uh, right? yeah, it's probably worth mentioning. Some people can take it and be all right. And be I, fine. It's like, but know, know yourself. You know, if you can take drugs and be fine, crack on, man. They just try to stop you. The amount of people I've seen who are doing both in the one night out, and you're going, right, back in the day, it was one or other. Uh-huh. You either took a tablet or you took a drink. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing the both for? Because you're you're just nullifying the effects of both. So, so just stop it. I'm sure I read as well that your brain can stop naturally producing serotonin because it's getting it for your unnatural, uh, your sources. unnatural sources. And then I... I think for me, like... Anxiety is a thing where I've just learned to have coping mechanisms for it. Mm-hmm. And the, the irony is, I don't ever really get it around my comedy. Mm. That which you would think would be the most anxious place. You, you get nervous and stuff, do you know what I mean? But not anxious. You must just feel at home. Doing it that. just feels comfortable. It just feels mm-hmm. like like Doctor Doctor Theatre, I think it is they call it. But it is a thing. But yeah, but then I can get anxiety at the thought of going on a plane. You know, going in a lift mm-hmm. or, or having to go somewhere that, that I don't know or I'm with people that I find maybe I'm not in that headspace to deal with those people that are, you know, loud and brash and right in your face and I'm just like, I can't, I can't cope with that. How, how does that anxiety manifest itself? Like, what sort of, I suppose, symptoms would you get? Mm, so, uh, palpitations and not, not really being able to sit and sweat, like I'll just sweat. Really? Aye, 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 just, just sweating. And I, and I can't, it's almost like a fear, like I can't put one foot in front of the other, like see mm-hmm. if I had to go somewhere that I was anxious about, or because I was just struggling at that time, I physically can't, can't do it, can't do it, and I'm like, I could have the thinnest t-shirt on in the world, do you know what I mean? But I'd still mm-hmm. want to rip it off, do you know what Aye. I mean? It's like in the chest and the panic. Right. It's it's horrible. It's the worst feeling in the world. Uh, but and as with depression, it passes. Nobody's ever died for anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's what I had to kind of teach myself. Nobody's ever died for anxiety. I I went for counselling and had to kind of go all the way back. That so if I was going out. I would have a packet of chewing gum and a bottle of water because if something happened, that would get me through a situation. Yeah. And then from that, I would I could leave the bottle of water and I could leave the chewing gum and it could just... So it was just a gradual thing and then now I've got little little mechanisms and little coping techniques of maybe rubbing a particular part of my hand yeah, yeah. Or, or, or a distraction technique, just mm-hmm. going somewhere in my head and not thinking about what that thought is. And that's that. That's massive. You know what I mean. That's that's massive. And also talking about it because see the thing with anxiety. Sometimes you need to let it come all the way up and out. Yeah. Because the more you suppress it, yeah, might not be a good thing. I I agree with that. I, I often say like when people get with any emotion, let's just say if 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 you saw something that was hilarious and you tried to suppress the laughter you're in pain you, you laugh more aye and it's like it's it hurts and it, or it's, it's often an enjoyable pain you could describe it as and I say the same with sadness if somebody tries to stop themselves crying I'm like just let it out because it's trying to release and it's, it's almost as if there's a finite amount of it it's it's there 
it's trying to get it. once it's out that's it's it. not, I, it's out. I mean obviously there's going to be more things after that but and maybe it's the same with that anxiety or even if you're feeling sort of low or down or depressed and if you talk about it and you express how you feel you're almost expelling it and mm-hmm. just being like right it's not to say it'll never come back, come back again but 100%. it's a way of sort of dealing with it 100% you need to get it out sometimes especially if it's big Aye. you need to get it out it's a bit if it's a small thing and you know you can deal with it because mm-hmm. it's managing it isn't it Aye. I think sharing as well you know you spoke about people struggling to find their place in the world and if I've ever had any sort of insecurities or any worries or issues or anything any time I've shared it with somebody a pal's always went aye same and then you're like really? Yeah. and I'll go aye aye I, I think that as well or I sometimes you know, lie awake at night like fuck I've do- I don't have this or I've not done that yeah. and then you're like alright and you realise that you're not a weirdo there's nothing wrong with you you're suffering from a condition and that condition is called being a human being. Yeah, yeah. And and do you know what? Like your your peer group, your target, you know, you are notorious for that. Do you right. know what I mean? Hopefully now your generation's better than the generation before you talking. Aye. And and you are understanding that it is the same as it's okay not to be okay. Aye. It's okay to sit with your mate and go, I'm struggling man. Aye. And I think now if if more men are saying that to each other, they'll the, it's not going to be banter in a pub going oh look at you you're mad weeping fucking <laughs> your eyes it's not like are you alright mate Aye. you want to go for see instead of sitting in here try to go for a walk then we'll maybe come back for a pint and, and and sometimes that's that's I think it's what you need you know and just to know that and see if you have got that mate that's maybe just going through a hard time or I'll have said to you see the other week man I never get out of my bed for a week but I'm okay not alright you then watch them, and if their social media is quiet, mm-hmm. or if you've not had a text, you know, throw the text out and just like, you alright, mate? Aye. That's my thing. Quite often, if I feel if I feel low, I can't go to bed. It's like, I don't want to wake up. I, I kind of realised your, your brain's just like, I don't want to really be dealing with reality, so I'll just keep sleeping. It's mental. I'd say, if I had any advice for anybody, from my experience anyway, it would be, in terms of the things that you can control, make your increase your chances or speed up the process of quote unquote getting better and it would be you know lay off the booze you know ditch the drugs for a bit lay off caffeine aye aye that it makes me a wee bit sort of jumpy as well and it would be like go to the gym I mean I can't stress it enough not only are you getting the endorphins and you know and that that biological and physiological um, improvement but you're also I always stress this all the time. Exercise is meditative because you're not thinking about anything, anything. other than I, your I, breath. I was about to say that. It's like we were saying about mass or, or a church service, you know. Aye. Uh, it's an hour of maybe just doing a headphone Aye. And, and concentrating. You don't. You can take your own headphone, you can get reasonably cheap noise cancelling ones mm-hmm. to block out the actual noise of the gym right. if that's too much for you mm-hmm. and put on whatever, even if it's an audiobook. Sometimes I listen to an audiobook in right. the gym. I do that often, I Because I find it just takes me... Really relaxing. Because I don't want you listening to music. Do you know what I mean? And, and they've got like titanium blaring. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. And I want to sit and listen to a book about Brexit. Right? Aye, I do that. <laughs> sitting there, but... And I find that it just gives you that something of the day. Aye, it just something to take you out of your head. But and eat, don't eat shit. Yes, eat well. By the way, eat green vegetables. Eat. I, I had loads of spinach and broccoli, and I swear I feel 
so much better. Just for the volume. Aye. You know, get a steak. Go and buy a steak. Don't buy a curry. Go to the supermarket and get yourself a nice steak. I eat proper, proper nutritious, good food. And get a good sleep. See if you do want a bit of chocolate with a cup of tea that's go whatever. Tan it. Go have it. Do you know what I mean? But have to. Make sure you're just you're doing everything else. Um, as we kind of round up, is there anything that you want to that you want to touch on? Anything that we've not kind of covered? No, you want to get across? I've had a great time. Same. I uh, love it. I love it. Right, it's good. Just nah. Do you know what? It's never as bad as what you think. Don't. That's true. If you're sitting listening to this and you're having a bit of a hard time, it's never as bad. Regardless, it doesn't matter. If you're gay, if you're straight, if you're white, if you're black, if you're pregnant, if you've got somebody pregnant, it doesn't matter. If you've got a drug problem, it doesn't matter. Just speak to people if it's on your head, because it's the best thing you can do. You get it, get it out of you and talk talk to somebody. Because mm. once it's out of your head and you really look at it, once you've said all, the, all that stuff out, out loud, right. it's a different thing altogether. If you're feeling that way, going back and listen to episode 23 with the guys for Men Matter Scotland. They were talking about it, um, you had Fraser talking about how he turned his life around for drug and alcohol addiction to now improving and impacting their lives positively, other guys, other people. Um, it's uplifting and it's an amazing group, so I would I would strongly suggest going back and listening to that and always appoint people to the Martin Melly episode, nice. which was really good in terms of uplifting and realising that Things always get better, do you know what I mean? It's, and, and do you know what? Those clouds will come back. Aye. And some of them will only come back for a wee brief spell and some of them maybe linger about for a few weeks. But they always, always pass. I've got a very distinct in th- uh, theory that I'm really certain on that as we kind of have transcended into the secret culture, you know, the book, and it's this... Dream, believe, receive. Aye, and it's this belief that Life, um, that her Australian accent. Life is always got to be great, and if it ain't, it's because you thought about it. But it's like people basically there's this sort of ideology or concept that life's always amazing, and if it isn't amazing, it's because you dreamt it to be the way it is. And it's like, no, fuck me, like life's up and downs, man. Life Life is is up and downs and twists and turns and. And when every you're on day the up, brilliant. it's great. No, no. See, if every day was brilliant, how bland would that be? But how much gear would you need to take to get another high? Exactly. Do you know you, what I mean? Just you need to feel a wee low, yeah. you have a wee dip. It's kind of like the weather sometimes. A wee bit of rain makes you appreciate that sunshine. I'm not trying to be like... And that's another thing. See, if you don't want to go to the gym or you don't want to do that, just get out and go for a walk. Aye. Sit in a park. Listen to the birds, watch a bit of wildlife. Hi. I know it sounds like pure happy, but see, sometimes sitting up in Alley Park, sitting on a bench, the sun coming through the trees, even Hi. on a cold day, or even the rain coming through the trees, because sometimes the sound of the rain's better Dead than the, the sight of the sun. I did that a few, a couple of weeks ago, I had a wee bit of. A, I just, I started, I felt terrible, and I was like, I need to get out, and I think I walked for about 11 miles for ages and ages just listening to an audiobook and I came back and I felt more relaxed just do whatever it is like work it whatever it is sometimes for me it's it's uh, it's getting food and watching still game whatever kind of oh. takes takes you take yourself out your head do it find what works for you and, and go with that sometimes for me it's singing the only fools and horses theme tune <laughs> sometimes that just makes me laugh do you know what I mean <laughs> just makes me just just the song it just makes me laugh and put a smile on my face so Do you just enjoy it um, if anybody wants to 
to see you. You've got your show coming up at the Fringe. Where can so I'm at the Assembly at 8 p.m. I'm at the box at Assembly, uh, 8 p.m. for the full run. Three and a half weeks in Edinburgh is a lot for any Glaswegian, and uh, <laughs> then oh, it's a gig, man. But and then. Uh, I am at the Kings with a new show, 28th of March, which is getting toured, but I won't really be anywhere near Glasgow in the West, so I'll be like Ullapool, Wick, uh, Stirling, Dumfries, Berwick, Gala Shields, Newcastle, I'm everywhere. Magic, so. I'll be at the Kings and I'll be at the Fringe, I'll be bringing my pals to the Fringe one. Um, and if you want an autograph, for me, obviously, I just find it. <laughs> just give me a shout and find it. Um, and social media, where can people find you? Facebook, uh, Susan McCabe, comedy page, Susan McCabe, on Twitter, at Susan McCabe, and on the Insta, which I fucking hate Instagram. Right? I'm too old for Instagram. Never, never. Too old. Uh, on the Snapchat, just say no, kids. Say no Snapchat. <laughs> I'll obviously share any of these social media links, so if you have a wee look. As always, as I spoke about in the intro, if you want to come and join in the conversation at Flick Chat, there's loads of people, we're talking about loads of things, we talk about the episodes, um, general patter, but also, as I say, the more sensitive subjects, mental health, gambling, drug use, you know, whatever it may be. If you want to come in and join, then give me a shout if you want the link, otherwise you'll find it on Twitter. Susie, this was magic. Pleasure, mate. I hope it's not too long till we're doing it again soon. Definitely. Take it easy, folks. Cheers. Thank you.
Yeah. <laughs>